All right, welcome back, friends and neighbors. I'm joined with my friend and yours, Mr. Jason Squire. How's it going, Jason? Guess who's back? <laughs> it's going good. Back again. Squire's back. So, our good news segment this week, we're talking about the Food Recovery Network. This is a pretty big organization, but I didn't really know them by name. It's a student-led movement that fights against food waste and trying to end hunger. It started with a group of students from the University of Maryland College Park in 2011. So it really hasn't been around that long, but it's gotten really big. They're at 186 campuses in 46 states and Washington, D.C. What they do, basically, is collect food from dining halls and stuff that would be thrown away, then donate that to nonprofits so that nice. it can be, can be distributed. And this group of students just started it back in 2011, and by the end of that year, they had recovered 30,000 meals. Wow. And since then, yeah, yeah. And since then, according to their website, they have recovered 5.3 million pounds of food, donated 4.4 million meals, and have prevented over 7.4 million pounds of carbon emissions. Awesome. So, kind of crazy. I think about that a lot, like... Yeah, how much food just gets wasted, like how oh, much yeah. you throw away. And if you look at like statistics of like how much all of us just like food scraps and stuff. Yep. That's why I try to compost more now and things like that. Or had a student the other day who brought in a whole bunch of donuts because works at the gas station and they have to throw away the food at the end of the night. I remember that from when like yep. buddies would work at Casey's or whatever and we'd go in at the end of the night and <laughs> score a bunch of the food that they were going to throw away. But it's like, yeah, if it's not bought, legally they're supposed to throw it away. I was going to say, that, and I think some states are getting better at this now, but we're so worried about lawsuits and things like that. Like There is so much food that is perfectly good food that those companies throw away because of that chance of a lawsuit. Yeah, And I think that's good. I believe some states are starting to change some of those laws, which is... Really good, because that food should go to people who are in need of it and not into a dumpster. Yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of this weird thing, at least in in a lot of places, a lot of parts of our country, there's an abundance of things, but then there are also people going hungry. It's like, yep, makes sense. So I, I like these organizations. I've been kind of looking into food organizations lately. I kind of fall down a rabbit hole as I look at these different organizations, and I just thought this one was pretty cool, especially since it's like a student-led mm -hmm. thing. But people can check them out at foodrecoverynetwork.org. Then the next topic, our family time for this week. So I thought this would be a fun one since we have coached together for a number of years. We're both coaches. Our topic, under kind of the relationship skills heading, is teamwork. It makes the dream work. <laughs> I've heard that about it. I don't, I don't, you know, don't know a lot, but I've heard that. So... I kind of have, you know, just questions for our students that we're going to talk about the week that this comes out. This will be two weeks from when we're recording it. But kind of the first thing I want them to think about is, like, what is a team? So, like, from a coach's perspective and teams that you've been a part of, like, to you, what kind of makes a team? 
I would say, as I've gotten older and your perspective changes, what has really helped with the teams that have been very successful, egos go down, Mm -hmm. and the ultimate goal of winning the game is at the forefront. Mm -hmm. And all the... And that's a hard thing, especially as, as your younger person, you're trying to be the best that you can and try to show your coaches that... I should be out there. Sometimes that's hard that you are giving up your personal achievements for the greater goal of the team. And mm-hmm. that's that to me is the ultimate what makes a team is kids who are united in that front in wanting to win the game or activity or competition whatever they're in but having genuine happiness for their teammates for having mm-hmm. success. Um some of the best teams I've been a part of coaching are the ones where you might have a different high score every time. Right. Um, but everybody is enjoying it because they're, they just want to get to that victory. And that, Mm. that part I would say is that's been the most enjoyable I've had with a team is everybody doing what they can to help that collective goal. Right. Well, I think that's well said. And, I think it was when I was doing like my sports science, like grad school stuff. One of the big things that stuck with me is the idea of like task orientation versus ego orientation. And it's okay to have a little ego orientation because you want kids to be competitive and you want them to, you can't be the best if you don't want to be the best. But ultimately you want most of the focus on the task orientation of like, just do the thing that we want you to do, fill your role to help us be successful. See, so, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And that kind of ties into the other thing I want our students thinking about is in what ways teams benefit from diverse skill sets, diverse strengths, from a mix of personalities? What do you think? Oh, def- you don't want everybody to be the exact same because that's, you know, I'll go to f- basketball, for instance. I need someone who frankly, can pester people sometimes on defense. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I need people who just have that quick reaction and sometimes just can anticipate. Mm -hmm. Offensively, you need... I don't need five outside shooters. It would be nice, (laughs) but especially at the high school level, you need people who can rebound, who can score inside. You need that mixture of of different abilities. Um, Even in football, if we had... 11 kids who would naturally be a running back were in trouble because we don't have anybody to block then. So, right. So you, I'm, I'm always big on, I like trying to find what someone's skill is and what they're, and try to help enhance that into what we're doing and try to, mm-hmm. you know, fit that into again, our mold of what we need to do. And then as a coach, sometimes that's hard. You see your vision and then again, as you get older, you, Figure this out more is, okay, maybe I need to come off of what I want schemed here and play more to their strengths <laughs> at times. Yeah, that is that is definitely a challenge. There's a balance there. If you have a program and these are the things that we do, but then you do have to sometimes tweak to, all right, but these are the skills that we have available and you have to, to adjust there a little bit. Yeah, I, I like that. <laughs> It made me think of, I was 
I think it was like a TED talk that John Wooden did late in his life. And I love John Wooden. I had to pick sort of a, a coach that I, like maybe my favorite coach or something that didn't coach me. It would probably be John Wooden. And he somebody asked him about like what he would want like in a perfect player or something. And it was sort of interesting. He didn't pick like... Uh, a Bill Walton or a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or whatever like that. He was like, well, I would, you know, I would want him to be able to play defense and I want him to be unselfish and pass, but I also want him to shoot and I would want you to know, go through these things. So then kind of the players he sort of settled on were more like the well-rounded role players. Yep. Which is, I mean, it's just kind of funny him having coached some of the greatest college basketball players of all time. But the other thing... With that is talking to our students about how you can give constructive feedback to your other team members in a way that, you know, is helping. We always want that leadership, but it's not cutting people down. It's building people up. And we certainly have to do that as coaches. So how do you go about that, providing constructive feedback? I'm trying to think how to phrase it. Um <laughs> You know, again, with age comes wisdom. I'm a big believer in I'm not going to scream at someone. I'm going to tell them what they weren't doing right. Yeah. And once it, I'm going to praise instantly once we have fixed the things that we need to do. But sure. I've I found, again, I reference basketball more than football a little bit, but what I found with that is being just direct and letting the players know, like, hey, I need you to do this, and the reason why is this. And, mm -hmm. again, as we both know, now that we've coached a long time, when you're a young coach, you understand what you're trying to say, but it just is hard <laughs> sometimes to find how to say it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and But that's my big thing is I always try to approach it in a very positive way, mm -hmm. and I always try to build up that way. Um, and I always talk to players about that, too, is – you know, if someone is kind of sounds disparaging, I'm not going to just chew on them. I'm going to say, hey, we need to do that in a more positive way. Let's, mm -hmm. you know, let's let's celebrate each other. Let's build each other up that way. So trying to do it that way, because it's kind of like, you know, it's like do as I say, not as I do. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't work very well if I'm telling you to be positive, then I'm chewing on someone for not. But Right, right. But that's, I've gotten better as I've gotten older at explaining what I want them to correct, I guess, would yeah. be the way to, to put that. That's well said. <clears throat> I think a lot of coaches go through that. I know I definitely have. When I was a younger coach, I would certainly yell more or whatever, which I look back at that sometimes and be like, oh, yeah, you do that over. I would tell my past self, like, calm down and explain what you want. Like, the kid just may not understand. They have not been around this as long as you have. This yep. is new to them. We kind of forget that sometimes. Yeah, I have to remind myself sometimes that athlete does something. I'm like, what? Like, why would that be a decision? Like, oh, because you're 15 years old and you haven't done this very yep. long, so like that makes sense. But I like I like the idea of highlighting the positives too. Other people see that. That's something I've tried to work on. Part of me gets, especially I think of football film. I get in kind of the old football film room mentality of just like. 
here's what we did wrong, here's what we did yeah. wrong, here's what we did wrong, and it's like, eh, <laughs> you don't want to beat everybody down just the stuff that you need to improve, which that's kind of how a lot of us came up. I remember, like, the college film room, you watching it, and, like, <laughs> you weren't, weren't getting a lot of positive comments. It was just like, this is wrong, this is wrong. But uh, I think it helps if you can focus on the positives and other people see that, like, oh, that's, that's what we want. Yep. The last thing with teamwork that we're going to talk about in class is the idea of like showing grace or good sportsmanship, I guess can we call it in sports, whether we're succeeding or failing. I know that's something that's important to you as a coach and as like the teams that you have, but how do you go about, how do you instill that in your teams that like, this is how we're going to do business no matter what happens? I, I'm always up front with it, and I tell them, like, um, when, I mean, and it sounds silly, but it's, again, it's not bad to have reminders at any times. I still need them at 41 years old is, <laughs> hey, when we go through lines, shake, good hands, we don't say anything back, anybody says anything to you, you don't say anything, so we're going to be the bigger people on this. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I like to just remind them of that, um, you know. Now that I've worked with my own kids as they've been younger coming up, really instill that into them. Mm. You know, like, a call doesn't go your way. You don't look at the official. You don't argue with (laughs) the official. Um, You know, those little things trying to get it into their heads now. Mm. And it's it's been kind of fun, too, to see, like, with my own kids is Gavin. um, Gavin, when he was little in a tournament, he kind of looked and did the... uh, I, he came and sat right next to me. I said, you know we don't do that. Um, you know, those are the things that just trying to... And I explained that to him. You know we don't do that. You settle down. You understand that. Go back and do it the right way. Mm. Um, and it's been fun watching his group as they've come up. They've done a really nice job of that, understanding those things. Mm. And then when they see other teams do that, they're like, oh, that's why you don't want us to do that. Um yeah. But I mean, and it's again, when you're young, I get it. It's I'm a competitive dude, and but with again, as I've gotten older, I understand it's not the end of the world. But as a young kid, that is hard sometimes because you're given everything you got, um, and it's hard sometimes not to get frustrated with those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's the big thing is I always try to reiterate those things. Like you win with class, you lose with class. That's mm-hmm. those are the things that that we do because that goes a long way. It, that's well said. I th- I think of teams that we've played in the past where I would like to think, by and large, our kids in our school and our programs, that's a focus of ours is good sportsmanship. Not that, we, not that every kid is always that way. We've certainly had incidences we've had to address, but I think those incidents do get addressed. And sometimes we'll play another team where maybe you see some stuff that's dirty or what I would consider disrespectful, whatever. And in those situations, I don't really blame the kids so much as I blame the coaches. You're a young kid, you're a teenager, there's a lot of emotion, those sorts of things. But if you're not coaching something specifically, if you're allowing it to happen, you're still sort of coaching that, instilling it in kids. So I do think that's an important thing to focus on. Your story talking about about Gavin, your son, reminded me of a couple of things. One, the story that Kermit Alexander, you know the name Kermit Alexander, is a Bears fan. Yep. He's the guy who 
blew out Gale Sayers' knee. Yep. But I remember reading a long-form story about him. He's got a very interesting life and had kind of a tragic story and then became a very positive influence in his community, those sorts of things. But I think it was his dad pulled him off of the field in the middle of a youth football game when he was a kid just because he was like kind of hot-dogging, you know, he was yep. a good player, and his dad came on the field and basically told him he was like, Embarrassing himself, embarrassing the family. I just always kind of thought that was a, a cool story. John Wooden would talk about avoid the peaks and valleys, you know, yep. try to try to react the same whether we win or lose. And I'll do that with with my kids. The the phrasing that I use is I just say Mariano Rivera. Yep. So for those who don't know, Mariano Rivera, largely considered the greatest closer. In baseball history, he's the only unanimous selection to the Hall of Fame. Was a closer for the Yankees for a long time. Statistically is the most effective pitcher in postseason history. And was well known for kind of always having the same cool, calm demeanor. So if one of my kids you know, even shakes their head or something and looks frustrated, I'll just say, Mariano Rivera. It's just a reminder of like, Approach it the same way. Like, we shouldn't be able to tell whether things are going well or not from just looking at you. And that's, I mean, a big part of it is myself, too. I try to role model those things as well. Like, as in basketball, especially because it's more evident when you're mm. a little more angry than on a football field. Yeah, yeah. I very rarely get argumentative. Mm. I always say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Um Anytime I'm asking a question, I try to approach it in a non-confrontational way. Yeah. Because, one, I don't want to role model that my players should do that. Two, just as a general human being, is in the long game, if there's a tight moment, I don't want them... We're all human. You all have bias. I don't want them in the back of their head remembering that I was being a jerk, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. And those are the things that... And again... We have such a shortage of officials right now. I want to do everything I can, even though I might not be happy with what they did after a game. I usually tell them thank you if I see them as they're going in, yeah, yeah. because it, I do appreciate it. Because we can't do what we are doing without officials, so that's that's a big part of of that too. Again, I'm not perfect, but mm. um, as I've gotten older, I do my best to do that just to make sure, like. I'm showing them that respect, and again, hopefully that helps my players see, like, that's how we should act. Yeah, no doubt. Well, that's kind of what we're going to talk about for teamwork. So we'll move on to the next section where we talk about a blog post. So I'm going to give you a choice. You always come into these not knowing <laughs> what we're going to talk about. Anyway, you come in blind. So I'm going to give you, I wrote two today. I'm going to give you the title of each, and then not knowing what it's about, you get to pick... Based on the title, what we're going to talk about. Okay? Nice. So the first one is called Protective, Not Precious. The second one is called Drop In. Drop In. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> so you've probably had, well, maybe think of this, you've probably had this with your kids as well, where they have a night where they like struggle to fall asleep. Yep. And... My kids don't have it much. They've always been pretty good sleepers, even when they were little. My kids are 10 and 11 now, so they're old enough that even when they're having a hard time falling asleep at night, it's not like a big deal. 
But each of them will occasionally have that, where it's just I hear them, I'm going to bed, and I still hear them running around in their room, or they get up and do something, or maybe they'll holler for me and be like, Dad, I can't sleep. And what I usually try to tell them is, well, I ask them, you know, if anything's wrong and that sort of thing. And no, no, nothing's wrong. I'm trying to go to sleep. I just can't sleep. So my advice is usually like, well, stop trying to go to sleep. Because that's one of those weird things. Like the harder you try to go to sleep, yep. the harder it is. Yep. Because then your mind is racing and you're fiddling around. If you're moving a bunch, it's hard to fall asleep. So... Well, first of all, let's talk about that. I'm sure you've had that with your kids. I have that. <laughs> I know you have yeah. that more than I do. I, I'm, I'm a famously good sleeper. I'm usually, as soon as my head, I was going to say hits the pillow, but I typically sleep without a pillow. So as soon as my head hits the bed, then I'm pretty much out and I don't move a whole lot until morning. And you're right. It is when you're trying to make yourself fall asleep, it is dang near impossible. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, <laughs> Rachel will laugh. What puts me to sleep is listening to true crime podcasts. She's like, nothing helps me sleep better than listening to some type of crime. But so are you listen with like headphones? Nope. I just, okay, I have just, my phone there. Just, I have my phone charging. It's, yeah. but it's just playing. I, <laughs> and this is weird too. I have it at a volume where I can hear it. But it's not super loud. Okay. So it's almost like I have to not strain to hear it, but it's just it's there in the background, so to speak. But I don't do that all the time, by the way. But no, I, I Rachel will famously say like that puts me to sleep faster than anything. Huh. Are you you're just falling asleep as you're listening to it? So it yeah. just keeps playing. It just keeps playing, and some. I mean. I hope nobody's doing this with the Luke Nielsen podcast, but sometimes there's episodes where I was like, if I fall asleep and I don't hear everything, it's okay. Then sometimes I'll be like, oh, I fell asleep to that one, now I'll just re-listen to it. But otherwise I found, uh, um, I think it's Max Richter, created an album to actually help you sleep, and it plays, It's he composed it to your sleep rhythms. I... I heard of that no i have not bought the whole album i bought pieces of the album which i'm sure is my brain's like thanks a lot (laughs) but keep keep looping the wrong time like i haven't had REM sleep in three months but if if i can't fall asleep i play those six songs and i don't think i've ever heard the last two so that's good so i mean it, it works well but it's but yeah it's and I don't always listen to stuff when I go to sleep. It just depends on the night. Some nights I can just kind of sense, like, I'll fall asleep better if I have something playing. Yeah, so. yeah. That is one thing. I am sincerely grateful for my ability to fall asleep. I mean, it's like uh, if I'm trying to get seven hours of sleep a night, I literally need to go into the room, like, five minutes before it will give me seven hours. That's, and I'm just... Oh, that's so amazing. Like, uh, th- there are times I, I will... Go to bed and be like, I want to just lounge in bed for a little bit and think of some stuff. Nope. No, not a chance. Just, which, just which, out. Which makes me angry again, too, because <laughs> I love to sleep. Sleeping is like one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. And then have you be like, I'd rather, you know, go build a fort and run and write and do all this stuff. But I can fall asleep instantly. I was like, you jerk. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm very thankful for that. But... <laughs> 
that's really not what the blog post is about. <laughs> that's just sort of sort of the thing that got me thinking about it. Was um, <laughs> I just got thinking more about sleep. But anyway, um, what it got me thinking of is there's a lot of things in life that are actually kind of like that. Like the harder you push for them, the harder it is to actually make it happen. Yep. And I think we get stuck in that a lot. Like, if it's a goal, something we want to accomplish, like we push so hard, push so hard for, and then it's like, this isn't really working out. And then we get frustrated, and then we kind of do things like, if you're trying to fall asleep, it's probably not real productive to be moving around a lot in bed and Mm -hmm. doing all those sorts of things. And I'm a big proponent of, excuse me, of a lot of like Zen philosophy. The more and more, like, I study it, the more and more, like, like I meditate a lot. And meditation is one of those things that, like, the harder you try to be in the moment, the harder you try to be present, the harder it is. Absolutely. Because if you're thinking of, like, oh, I want to clear my mind and not think, well, then you inherently are thinking. And a lot of, like, and a lot of instruction connected to meditation is like not trying to push the thoughts away, but just kind of let them come and let them pass and and that sort of thing. And I think that's a big part of like, if you want to have some peace in your life is trying to understand, like, don't get too caught up in the past. Don't get too caught up worrying about the future. Like those sort of things, like just try to be in the moment and do that. You sort of have to like drop in. It's sort of like, falling asleep we don't say like i'm going to work to sleep i just you fall asleep you know so it's kind of the same thing if you're gonna be present and focus on the task at hand you kind of have to just like let other stuff go it's more a releasing other things than it is trying to do something else if that makes sense i agree yes (laughs) i know uh we watch a video john cabot zinn who is one of the big mindfulness guys yeah watching like they talk to him and talk about some of his retreats and it is like i have a busy mind so trying to just have nothing wander Mm -hmm. through my mind is very hard to do yeah yeah anyway let's drop in that's about all i had to say about that one next this week's podcast is brought to you by made for tv movies (laughs) just all of them (laughs) Uh, and, it, and now it's kind of weird because made. For, I imagine they're still like what you would technically call made for TV movies, but because so much is streaming now, that's kind of like a a lost thing. Like when we were kids, and they'd be like, yeah. "This movie is going to be on ABC or NBC or CBS this night," or like a mini series. You know, that was like oh, a yeah. big big event. So do you? Uh, so we're going to be brought to. You buy all, all of the former, like from when we were kids, the TV movies and miniseries. Do you have a favorite? Um, everybody goes to Bubble Boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do not. I don't either. But that's the first one that comes to my head. I didn't even think about yes. that. <laughs> I don't know. That's the one that I, is like the most famous. Yeah. Um. You know, again, like, what is technically the definition? Like, I think I talked about uh, at one point, um, Mr. Boogity was a Disney one that was on the Wonderful World of Disney. And I don't know if that was for the actual, like, 
made for a TV. At that time, it had to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. Um, I cannot think of it, and it's going to drive me nuts. And if my sister listens to this, I bet she'll remember. I re- like. I feel like Saturday mornings they did some made-for-TV movies for kids. Yeah, I'm sure. And I, d- I can't remember what it was called, but there was one where, like, these two kids, like, there was this massive flood, and they were stuck in their house. Mm. And, like, they had to keep trying to get up to the second floor, but there was, like, a bobcat or something that was... <laughs> and I can't remember what it was, but I just remember loving you know, that one as bobcat a kid. flood. Yeah. <laughs> it was the precursor to Sharknado, but... Um, <laughs> yeah. I've, my my sister will remember, but I can't remember. But I remember that one is one that I remember as a kid. Always thinking was cool. <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> Writing that movie sounds awesome. Like, what if there's a flood? Okay, yeah, that sounds pretty intense. What next? Well, you know, sometimes there's a bobcat in your attic. Oh man, <laughs> tell me more. <laughs> it sounds like an '80s made-for-TV yep, movie. Pretty much. How about for you? What do you? Well, I was trying to think of like some. It, it would be one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I, I wrote down It is one that I kind of forget was a made-for-TV yeah. movie. Especially a lot of these then, now, you can maybe find it on streaming or something somewhere. But It is an interesting one. What would you have? Sybil. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even think it. I mean, because that was before... I didn't find Sybil until I was an adult teaching, obviously. Right. But that is one that was a made-for-TV movie. Oh, I think yeah, 1976. Yeah. Very good. And then that kind of like you're talking about those Disney ones that I guess were technically made for TV. They're on the Disney like cable channel. I kind of tend to think of it more as like the network yeah. television yep. ones, or because like. For a while, now you wouldn't really call them this, but like when HBO started making their own movies, I guess it was kind of a made-for-TV movie, but now it's this whole separate thing. All the Warner Brothers movies are under that umbrella or whatever. If we're counting HBO, I got mine. Okay, what do you got? Bar none. Encyclopedia Brown. Oh. There was an Encyclopedia Brown movie. It was my favorite by far. Excellent. Excellent. Once you, once you threw that caveat in there... By far, my favorite. Okay. Well, I, I the one that I thought of as would have been from this era where I guess like it's made for HBO would have been 61, 61 asterisk about yep. the Roger Maris and Mickey Vandal home run race. So I really like that one. I was thinking of like network television miniseries. Of course, Roots was huge. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Forgot about Roots. My favorite miniseries type of thing, if you're going to throw that into the made-for-TV movie, has to be Lonesome Dove. Oh, yeah. Love Lonesome Never Dove. Never watched it, but I know of it. So, it's yeah. so good. I am a sucker for a, a good Western, and it's fantastic. So I love Lonesome Dove. The other, we're talking singular made-for-TV network movie, Brian's Song. Yes. See, and I forget about that one again because yeah. it came out before we were born. Yeah. I forget that's yeah. a made-for-TV movie. Great yeah. movie. So I, I love that. Yeah, and I I didn't watch it when it originally aired. Yeah. Like you said, it's older than us, but I think we had it. My mom and her extensive VHS tape collection had that recorded on something where I first saw it. And thought it was great, and then like later got the DVD or whatever. But yeah, just a, a great, great movie. If there's parents out there, or kids, if you've never read the Encyclopedia Brown books, fantastic. 
Love them. So good. I'm gonna. I'm sorry, Mr. Squire. I don't think I have ever read any Encyclopedia Brown anything. Oh, they're so good, man. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to bring you a few. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, anyway, that's about all that I had for this episode of the podcast. Do you have anything else? Just going back to the teamwork theme. Yeah. yeah. Talking about us coaching together. Mm-hmm. Finding each other's strengths and working off <laughs> those strengths is great. Yeah. I am the verbal communicator to people. You are definitely the written communicator. Sure. I am the <laughs> super task-oriented dude, like the, the behind-the-scenes <laughs> stuff. You like more to plan the practices and stuff. That worked out very well. So Yes, yeah, it, definitely. And I, I am very appreciative of that. I have been very fortunate because early in my coaching career, I was a head coach right away. You think I became, I was named a head coach at like 22 years old, something like that. I was a head, I was an athletic director, very young, whatever, must have been my mid-20s, something like that. And I thought when I was younger, that was like the route I was going to take was more of that head coach, athletic directing, made sense, those sorts of things. But then I do not like the administrative side of things. I do not like the red tape and the... I, I don't like any of that. So I have been very, very fortunate in over the last quite a few years to have other wonderful coaches around me who take care of that stuff, and I just basically get to coach. Which is what I like doing. So thank you very much for that. Well, I appreciate you. Like anytime I'm like, hey, we need to send this out. I need you to type this up because you are, you are such a good writer, and I am not. So well, thank so you. I appreciate it. We, we, we work together very well. But yes. On that note, thanks for joining me for the podcast again. For everybody listening, as always, you can reach out, connect with us. We didn't have any new Royal Fork news at the top of this episode, so I, I should do some deep diving. I, I didn't look up anything else. We're still, I've still got the Royal Fork tray right behind me. If you watch any of the video stuff that I put out, you'll see it behind me a lot of times. So I, I, I have this shelf, and I continue to collect more random stuff. <laughs> and like I recently had kind of a Zoom sort of business meeting with a bunch of different people, then I sometimes wonder, like, I wonder what they're thinking about some of the stuff that's behind me. I've got, like, Macho Man Randy Savage action figure, which you got me, I think. Yep. Yep. And, like, well, a bunch of Yankee stuff and coaching stuff. But also I have, like, this you really are not able to see, but I have the door handle off my Jeep that got smashed by a tree. (laughs) And there's some boards up there now that Mickey broke at their last Taekwondo testing. And just, like, a bunch of random stuff, including... The famous Royal Fortress. What's going to be great, though, is that's going to be our key. Someone in one of those meetings at some point is going to be like, is that a Royal Fork tray? My uncle was Dave Royal Fork. I'm the heir to the Royal Fork (laughs) dynasty. The Royal Fork wealth fortune. (laughs) Anyway, with that, feel free to reach out to me or to Jason. Uh, Luke Nielsen Media on pretty much all the socials, LukeNielsen.com, LukeNielsenMedia at Gmail, and also I've been putting out the audio 
and video clips to go with it. Uh, chapters from Earth from Earth, my book, along with the curriculum guide that we put together for that. So that is out there, available to anybody who wants to check that out. Read it, buy it, live it, love it. <laughs> On that note, thanks for joining us. Love yourself, love each other, love the fight. Mm-hmm.